A few people have commented this morning on the way I'm dressed, which leads me to believe that uh, I must not dress nice typically because I'm getting a lot of compliments this morning. Um, and this tie, this tie is actually uh, one of Dave Glock's ties. Um, so uh, as, as I was getting dressed this morning, I remembered that I had been given one and, and decided to uh, put it on. Before, uh, before we open the word of the Lord this morning, let's go to him in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, a broken people, Lord, who are saved by grace. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. People who were unlovable by you, Lord, and yet you loved us so much that you sent your son to die. And we are benefactors of that love this morning, Lord. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you would have us to say. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word and that you would be glorified this morning. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, If you didn't have the opportunity to hear our brother John speak last weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, I encourage you to avail yourself of um, the, one of the wonders of modern technology and go to the Northern Hills Bible Chapel website. And uh, you can go to the sermon section, pull up John Glock, and, and listen to those messages. Um, they're, they were wonderful messages uh, and a great reminder. And one of the things that I really uh, appreciated and I've actually I've continued to add to it uh, ever since uh, we were asked to, but we were given these four by six cards uh, and, and asked to, in the same vein that uh, Jeremiah in, in Lamentations chapter 3 wrote, uh, that these things I remember, I recall, and um, they give me hope. They gave him hope. And we were, we were asked to write down what we remember about God that gives us hope. And one of the passages of Scripture, it just so happened to be the one I was studying, um, but that I wrote down on this card was Psalm 46. Did anybody else happen to write down Psalm 46 on their card? Did anybody write anything on their card? Oh, that's okay. Um, turn with me to Psalm chapter 46, please. This psalm was written at a time when the Israelite people were uh, in conflict. They were in trouble. Uh, they were experiencing difficulty as a people and individually. Uh, and if you read it in that context, I can understand why it would be a comfort. Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Another way to read that would be an abundantly available help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. There is a river 
whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. And I love when you get to verse 10. The psalmist is writing to the people of Israel from his own perspective as the songwriter, the psalmist. But he transitions in this verse. He's inspired to do so, but now God is speaking directly. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then the songwriter ends once again by saying, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Has anybody here ever bitten off more than they can chew? Now, I have, I have literally done that. Uh, and let me give you some context, and I apologize that a lot of my illustrations or, or references will be from my time in college. I packed a lot of life experiences into one year, four years really, but one year was the, the, the most pertinent, my freshman year. And one of the things as freshmen, uh, when we ate, we had to finish every bite in three to five chews. That's all we were given. So when I took a bite of food, I had to chew it three to five times, and that was it, and I had to swallow it. And I assure you that there were times when I put more food in my mouth than I could handle in three to five chews. And as a, as a freshman, if an upperclassman saw that, which they invariably did, they would call you out. Get that full in. Great. I put too much food in my mouth, didn't I? You have five chews, I'm counting, and you have to swallow that. Now, it's hard enough to chew when people are paying attention to you, but it is even harder when people are counting how many chews you get, and you know after five you have to swallow. Has anybody swallowed food without chewing it enough? Once again, I have done that. And it's really hard if it's meat, especially meat. Meat's the worst. Chicken, dry chicken, uh, steak, something of that nature. It's really difficult to swallow. I think sometimes in, in life we tend to bite off more than we can chew. And sometimes it's not our own fault. It's not something that we ask for, but we do end up with too much food in our mouth. It's too much for us to chew in three to five bites. Has anybody here written a thesis before? Okay, I see a few hands going up. Good. What, what would you say the hardest part of writing a thesis is? You're right. Writing your thesis statement. It's not the research. It's not writing the actual paper itself. 
even though that isn't easy. But it is your it, it is your thesis statement. You have to focus your efforts. If you don't write a good thesis statement, what happens? You write a book. I wrote a bachelor's level thesis, so it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be a book. But if I hadn't focused my efforts, I would have written a book. And if you're writing your doctorate level thesis, you would have written a trilogy. Um, so the point is, if you don't have the right focus, um, everything that, that follows isn't necessarily going to be, um, it's going to be harder, a lot harder. Now, as I was preparing this message, uh, I had a lot of things on my mind. Um, for those of you who know me, music was probably one of them, and I can assure you that that is true. Uh, you might be surprised at who. Uh, so Fernando Ortega is still my homeboy, but it wasn't Fernando I was thinking of. Uh, Andrew Peterson. And the more I listen to Andrew Peterson, the more I appreciate his skills as a songwriter. I was thinking of two of his songs, uh, one of which is called uh, Faith to be Strong. If you recall, and John spoke, uh, a song he, he referenced several times was an Amy Grant song. Right? And there was a line in there that said, because life is hard and it might not get easier. This song lyric, in Faith to be Strong, doesn't quite say the same thing, but it's kind of the same concept. Uh, he said, this life is not long, but it's hard. So give us faith to be strong. That was running through my mind. My daughter Lily, my daughter Lily goes to sleep every night uh, to a CD... Uh, of scripture set to lullabies. And if Christy were here this morning, uh, she would tell you that she's absolutely sick of that CD. She hears it every night, probably more often than I do. And I, I've heard it many, many, many times because my daughter listens to it too loud. I don't know where she gets that. Um, the first song, the first lullaby, is Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Isn't that a wonderful verse to fall asleep to every night? That's what my daughter listens to. Another song that was running through my head uh, was a song by Andrew Peterson called um, The Silence of God. If you haven't heard it, uh, I'd encourage you to listen to it. It's a very honest song as a Christian, being honest about your, your struggles in life. And it's actually written from the perspective of someone who is struggling and doesn't seem to be hearing God's voice in his life. He's seeking the comfort of the Lord. He's seeking uh, the staff and the rod of the Lord, and he's not getting it. There's an apparent silence there uh, of God. One of the lines in it is it, it can break a man's faith. Difficulties, trouble, sorrow can break a man's faith. I saw that firsthand. A good friend of mine, who admittedly, I, I suppose we've, we've drifted apart. I haven't talked to him in years, um, but I spent a good chunk of my childhood with. His name was Christopher Hedges. Um, we, did, um, we did birthdays together. We do sleepovers. Um, he'd come to our house. I'd go to their house. Um, we did a harvest party because uh, trick-or-treating, you know. Um, so we did a harvest party. Instead, we used to go over to their house all the time. And his mother, Gail, uh, was one of my favorite people. She was like a second mother to me. When I was 19 years old, we were both 19 years old, uh, Gail got sick and died. And I watched my friend Chris lose his faith. Now, there were a lot of factors in that, but the event itself was his mother dying, and that, that broke him. 
I also think of, of the statement or the question that's often posed by non-believers to Christians and sometimes by Christians to themselves. Why do bad things happen to good people? And we know that there, there is no such thing as good people. None of us are good people. We're sinners saved by grace. But I understand the point of the question. And it's a tough question to answer. I think there is an academic answer to it. Probably not the best answer to give to people who are uh, struggling, who need comfort. You don't want to be like Job's friends. I've been reading through the, the Bible with uh, my in-laws, and we just got to Job. Uh, reading through the portions of Scripture where Job's friends were comforting Job. And I don't think doing a very good job of it. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I don't necessarily have all the answers. I would say invariably in most, most cases I can't answer that question. I don't know why that individual specific instance uh, of difficulty is happening in, in that individual's life. Or at least explain it to the satisfaction of the individual. Life is hard. But I do know a few things. Uh, one thing I'd like to share with you this morning And some of this stuff really isn't easy, because if it was, we'd be doing it all the time. Verse 10 starts off with these words, be still. Be still. I'm reading from the New King James. Does anybody else have a different word? Cease striving. There you go. Cease striving. Be still. When you find yourself in in difficult times and and need comfort, Uh, if you're anxious, if you're troubled, uh, if if you feel like you're being persecuted, be still. Be still. Now, the word here, as I understand it, uh, in the original language, uh, means to make yourself weak. To make yourself weak. To not try and do it uh, by yourself. But I think it's interesting, uh, the word that they use still, at least in this translation, still. Uh, if anybody here had, had to, to define that word, how would you define the word still, to be still? Silence. Silence. Being quiet. Stop moving. Stop being full of activity. To exist. To exist. To trust. To relax. To listen. Now, I think most of you here know my children. James and Melody's, excuse me, James and Lily specifically, and Melody's, um, she's starting to get there. She's making her debut in the world. Um, but I don't think the word still, for those of you who know my kids, would, would describe them, right? Close. Close. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're gracious. You're being gracious. Thank you. My, my kids are not still kids, and, and, and I, it's obviously Christy's fault, not, not mine. 
She's not here to defend herself. That's just not fair. Um, no, that's mine. Uh, my, my mother, and I remember her telling me this many times, she said, and I'm sure everybody's mother's probably said this to them, especially if they were a difficult kid, but I hope you have, I hope you have a kid just like you. Well, guess what, Mom? I have three. I have three. My kids are not, not still. And even in, in instances where they are supposed to be still, they are not still. Uh, we went to a Cyclones game last night, and, and my daughter Lily sat in my lap for, it felt like an hour, um, and uh, supposed to be still. I had to, I had to tell her, sit in your seat, because she wasn't sitting still, just, just constantly moving and, and moving around, even when, again, they're supposed to be still. So to, to stop doing what you're doing, when you tell a child to be still, you mean be quiet, sit there, and don't do anything. Which in many respects for a child is contrary to the nature of a child. And we as adults, we as people, if you say stop doing something, that's contrary to what we want to do, right? We have a hard time stopping, I think. Uh, I suppose, and maybe, maybe many men can relate to this. I know when my wife sometimes, when she comes to me with a problem, and she doesn't always want me to fix it, but man, the first thing I want to do is not stop, let me tell you, not to listen. It's to, I want to fix that problem. That's not what she needs me to do, but to stop is oftentimes contrary to what we want to do. Silence. So as freshmen in college, we, we were not allowed to talk outside of two areas. Uh, we could talk in the classrooms, and that was heavily regulated. Obviously, a teacher wouldn't just let me do whatever I wanted. So I talked when I was asked questions. Um, and in our rooms, which was, again, somewhat heavily regulated. The doors were always open, so anybody could poke their head in any time they wanted to. And if we were being too rowdy, they'd come by and they'd tell us, knock it off. Uh, we couldn't watch movies uh, or TV or listen to music of our entire freshman year. And one thing I, I noticed is when you're not distracted, when you're not doing other things, you tend to focus a lot better. You tend to pay better attention and one of the things I had to do was I walked to class, I had to greet upperclassmen. If I had been talking to classmates, I would have missed a lot of greetings and I would have gotten yelled at even more than I already did. But being silent, you pay attention much better. So be, be still. Stop being distracted. And I don't think that word probably applies more so than it does in today's age. As technology continues to advance, it seems like every, everything is designed to distract you. And... I'm guilty of this, terribly guilty of this. Music is probably my biggest one. Uh, and, and a lot of these distractions aren't necessarily bad, but they are distractions. Um, so music, music is designed to distract you. I've always got music playing in the background, or I usually do, I should say, have music playing in the background. It was interesting, when I was prepping this study, I tried something different. I didn't listen to anything. I was silent. TV, movies, all this stuff is designed to distract you Advertising is designed to distract you. Every time we go out, our phones, boy, talk about conviction for myself, our phones are distractions. 
Everything is designed to distract you. But God is saying here, be still. Make yourself weak. Stop what you're doing. Be silent. Listen. And know. Now the emphasis is actually on this word. Be still is that these two words are connected. The word that the emphasis is on in this passage is and know. Be still and know. Be assured of this statement. And I think it's really important to bear in mind who is speaking here. This is God speaking. Be still and know this to be true. And I think it's important to remember, again, who is speaking. So if I said, Sean Fullen, I know that the Spanish word for library is biblioteca. Did I get that right? Okay, but if I asked Amy, who teaches Spanish, or Amy said that, there's more weight there. Right? As a Spanish teacher, there's more weight. It, dep- it really does matter who says that. And God here is saying, be still and know this to be true. This is something you can take to the bank. This is something that you can be assured of. If you ask the child or a young person, does your father love you? And the first words out of that kid's mouth are, I know, I know, I know that my father loves me. Versus any other word choice that it could be. But I know that my father loves me. A child obviously understands without a shadow of a doubt. But there's a reason for that. Now, God's saying this, be still and know that I am God. And I, guess, I suppose it depends on who is being talked to here. So in this passage of scripture, many would say it's the Israelites or the enemies of Israel or the world. This is just a general statement. Be still and know something about me. I am God. But I think as Christians, we can take, there's, there's more meaning in this particular passage because we have a, a different understanding, a better understanding, I should say, of God. Uh, we are part of God's family. Uh, we've been invited into it, not, not because of anything we've done, but, but be still and know. And I think there's a difference between, I guess the point I'm trying to make is knowledge and understanding. So that child, if he says, I know my father loves me, there's a reason that he knows it. There's experiences that have taught him that this is true. My father loves me. Another way to perhaps put it is, so we had to learn a book of knowledge, and one of the things that I remember learning is uh, the maximum effective range of an M16. Anybody happen to know what a max effective range of an M16 is? 600 meters? It's 300. 300 max effective. There's, that's not the maximum range. What is the max effective range? I just memorized that, and I learned it, and I could spout it off. But I didn't really understand what that, the significance of what is, what is the significance of 300, why does it matter, until I went into a range and actually shot an M16 at pop-up targets at 300 meters. Now, when you zero an M16, just for context, um, on a paper target, one of the things you're zeroing for is actually that 300-meter target. That's where you want to be dead on. And a 300-meter target on a piece of paper is about this big, and you're shooting it 25 meters away from where you're at. So it's pretty small. 
when you're shooting an M16 with iron sights, without any sort of magnification, 300 meters is about the farthest you can see a target. And that's why it is the max effective range. Now suddenly I have an understanding of what that means because I've been to a range and I've actually experienced this. So again, be still and know. That is the emphasis in here. God is saying, know this to be true. But again, I think this is something that as Christians we can understand experientially. Be still and know what? That I am God. I am Elohim. I am God Almighty. I am in control. I am the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. Uh, 1999, I don't know if anybody remembers, <clears throat> for the Prince of Egypt coming out. I told Christy I wouldn't mention movies, but I forgot I had this in my, my message. The Prince of Egypt, anybody remember that coming out, watching it? I watched it in theaters. Uh, I was somewhere between uh, eighth grade and, and freshman year in 99, so that tells you how old I am now. Um, I was struck by the scene of the burning bush in that movie. That's not the whole. The whole movie is not a perfect representation, but it's a pretty good, pretty good movie, um, pretty good representation of the story of Moses and the people of Israel and the Exodus. But that scene, I always, I, I got the chills. And some of it I understand. It's 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 the music. I'm a music guy, but but if you go back and just read the passage in Exodus chapter three and Exodus chapter four, that scene where where Moses. He's coming up with an excuse. God, I, I don't talk good. But my brother Aaron does. I can't do what you're telling me to do. I can't do it. What does God say? And this is in that movie, and I still get the, I'm still getting the chills right now just thinking about it. Who made man's mouth? And I'm skipping a few, a few words there, obviously. Who made the, the seeing the death of the, the dumb and the blind? Uh, did not I, did not I, the Lord God Almighty, make that? Now go. Uh, reading Job, I've been focusing on Job uh, chapter 38, which is after all of this, uh, after the friends of Job finished speaking to him, after he finishes speaking, God answers Job. Just read chapters 38, 39, and I think maybe a piece of 40. And I'm... I'm I'm picking pieces out here because really God is God is asking Job questions here. But he said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who determined its measurements? Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fashioned? Or who laid its cornerstones? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory for glory, excuse me, for joy. The heavens declare the glory of God, the earth and all his handiwork. God Almighty, this is the God Almighty he's talking about here. Be still and know that I am that God. I am God. Not I am a God, not I am the best God, but I am God Almighty. Be still and know this to be true, that I am God. Now, this passage of Scripture does not have the same 
language that's found in Exodus chapter 3 where, where God said, I am that I am. That's not the I am that's used here. Be still and know that I am. Let's be still and know that I am, I am Elohim, God Almighty. But I think as Christians, again, you can look at a passage of Scripture here. We know certain things about God to be true. And again, that going back to the Prince of Eve, that scene where he said that, that just such, that's a powerful scene. I am that I am. Who shall I say sent me? I am that I am. Has anybody here read C.H. McIntosh's notes on the Pentateuch? We got one person. So I, I, I haven't even read it, the whole thing at least. I, I, I brought it with me this morning. Uh, if you haven't read it, I actually once heard, and I, I can't recall if it was my father or somebody else, but they, they were, when asked if, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only have one book and it wasn't the Bible, what would you bring? It's C.H. McIntosh's notes on the Pentateuch. And I read the, the section that covers that portion of Exodus chapter 3 where he said, I am that I am. To put it simply, because I don't, I don't write or speak as well as C.H. McIntosh does, but to put it simply, God is what we need him to be. And it encompasses all the names of God and all the aspects of God. I am that I am. And we find ourselves this morning needing a father. He is our heavenly father. He's the good father. We find ourselves needing a friend. Lord Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We find ourselves needing sustenance. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We find ourselves thirsty this morning. Jesus said, I am the living water. Anyone who drinks of me will not thirst again. You find yourselves needing a family. We've been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of God. You find yourselves needing a home. Jesus said, my father's house are many mansions. Right? That, what I go to prepare a place for you. Whatever you need, and I know this, is, this, this probably can even sound trite um, for me to even say this, in the sense that, like, yeah, you know, God, God's got everything covered. He, he's whatever you need. It's not easy to, to grasp that. It's not easy to accept, I should say. It's an easy concept, but it's not easy always to accept. Because, again, going back to the concept of stopping, that's not our natural state. We don't, we don't often seek God until it's really the last thing that we've, we've, we've tried everything else. Might as well try this. This is really one of the only things that my wife says I worry about is PT tests. And even when I was in incredible shape, I hated them. Absolutely hated them. There's a lot of weight that rides on them uh, and just a pressure to do really, really well. Well, I got a PT test coming up so you can pray for me. But oftentimes I found myself saying, Dear Lord, the day before I take the test, will you please help me? Please help me. That's, I've, I've tried everything else. Please help me to do well today. Please help me, uh, if it's a really bad day, just to pass. And you don't often find yourself going to the Lord and seeking him right away. That's the first thing you should do. You find yourself in a time of, of difficulty and trouble. Be still right now. And know this, 
I am God. I am. And again, as Christians, we have a relationship with God. It goes beyond just the fact that he is God Almighty, which is a a universal truth. The Bible does say, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. I think everybody, if they're really honest with themselves intellectually, will, will admit that there is a God. But we have a relationship with God. The same, the same God that we talked about, the same God that is God Almighty that created the heavens and the earth, knit each and every one of us together in our mother's womb. And he knows the plans he has for us. And they're plans to prosper, not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. That same God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now again, I, I don't have all the answers in, in every situation, but one thing I do know, this, this is true. This is true. That God is in control that he loves us and that he wants us to seek him because he can take care of anything that we bring to him. And one thing I think, uh, so I referenced some of these, these songs. Um, the song, The Silence of God, which is it's a hard song um, to listen to sometimes. It ends this way. It ends with a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in the garden, weeping. And the lines, it says this, but the man of all sorrows, he never forgot what sorrow was carried in the hearts that he bought. I think it's important to remember that. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and he experienced life. He went through sorrow and anguish. And he knows our troubles. He knows where and how to meet us in any situation. And once again, he loves us. And he cares for us. And I think that we can end by saying, being reminded of the fact that the Lord of hosts, as the psalmist ended this passage, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. One thing I want to say before I end too, this isn't, this isn't just true of, for us in situations where we desperately need God because we need comfort, because we're, we're sorrowing, because we're anxious, because we're in trouble. This is true all the time. In the good times and the bad. God is our refuge. 
and he is with us. Before I close in prayer, anybody have any comments that they'd like to add to this message? Praise God. All right, well, I encourage you. Oh, this is actually a pretty good exercise to, to continue this. I've continued to add to it as I read through the scriptures. Um, but remind yourself, uh, what about God gives you hope? It's, it is a good exercise. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you gave us this morning to gather as a body of believers and to open your word. Lord, we thank you so much for the, your word. We thank you for uh, the words that are in it. We thank you for the truths that are in it. We thank you for the fact that this morning uh, we've been reminded of the fact that you are God, that you love us unconditionally, that you sought us, Lord, and, we, and the only reason uh, that we can call you Father, Lord, this morning is not because of anything that we have done. It's because of your grace, your mercy, your love. And we thank you so much, once again, for loving us. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.